Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You, you all should get excited. That's a good place to get excited. If you want to get excited this morning, that's a good verse to do it on. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to the God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Can you say that this morning? Our God is an eternal God. He's an immortal God. He's invisible. He alone is wise. Amen. You know, the first thing I want to take a look at this scripture this morning and from 1 Timothy is, is the context in which Paul is writing to Timothy uh, when, he, when he writes this verse. How many of you have ever faced difficult times in your life before? Maybe you face uh, death or disease, sickness or whatever it is, maybe family issues or financial issues. Well, Timothy found himself in a hard place. And, and Paul's writing here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, Timothy, you know, people are losing, losing their faith. They're, they're shipwrecking their faith and they're going the opposite direction. Timothy, they've strayed and they've turned to idle talk. In verse 7 of, of chapter 1, it says that they've desired to be teachers and understanding neither what they say or the things that they affirm. And it's, it sounds very familiar to me. They want to they take the microphone. They want to be the preacher, but they have no idea what they're talking about. Timothy, they, you know, all these people, they're leaving the faith. But in spite of all that, Timothy, that word now is a, is a conjunction word. It's a, it's a word that's joining the previous thought. And so what Paul is saying, Timothy, in spite of all of this, in spite of people shipwrecking their faith, in spite of people uh, turning their back, in spite of, uh, you know, Timothy, remember what happened in Acts. 19, you know, we know the story of how, of how this church of Ephesus was started that, you know, Paul came into town and he found 12 and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And, and they said, we didn't know there was a Holy Ghost. And so he lays hands on them and they receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And he starts teaching for eight hours a day for two years. And I mean, they're absolutely saturated. Timothy, this is how the church was started. And they've shipwrecked all that. But in spite of all of that, Timothy, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and honor forever and ever. In spite of all your difficulties, in spite of all that you might be facing this morning, in spite of all the sickness and all the problems that you may face in your life, Timothy, now to the King eternal, consider this King, consider this King who's eternal, consider this King who's immortal, who's invisible, he's the only wise God. And so this morning I say to you, in spite of what you're facing, in spite of what's going on in your life, consider this king this morning. In spite of what may be going on in your life, consider this king. You know, you may be here this morning and all's going well, but in spite of all of that, consider this king. All in your life may be, may be shipwrecked. Consider this king this morning. The first thing that Paul says to, to Timothy is consider this king eternal. We have an eternal God who has an eternal rule, who has an eternal kingdom. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 that he upholds all things by the word of his power. There's nothing outside of his control this morning in your life. He upholds all things this morning. His rule is eternal. The Bible says that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and make your enemies your footstool. There's nothing or no one that is outside of his rule this morning. 
morning. And then his kingdom is eternal. The Bible says that of his kingdom, there will be no end. So we have an eternal king. And John chapter 1, if you'll go with me this morning to John chapter 1, we get a glimpse of the glory of this eternal king. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. And verse 26 says, John answered them, He answered the Pharisees, and he said to them, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Man, can you imagine, in the midst of the Pharisees stood Christ, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the the God that rules all universes, stepped into his creation, was standing in the midst of these people. and And John says, there's one standing in your midst that you don't even know, you don't even recognize. It is he who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethbara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending on him from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so we see the, we begin to behold the glory through John's witness here. We behold the glory of Christ displayed. This eternal King came and we beheld his glory. It wasn't the glory of an earthly king. It was the glory of a heavenly of a heavenly king. We saw his glory when he came and was born in a manger. We saw his glory when he was beat within an inch of his life. We saw the glory of a heavenly king when his when his throne became a cross. We saw this glory of a heavenly king, not of an earthly king, but the glory of an eternal king. And then John goes on, and in the book of Revelation, he gets, he gets another revelation of, this, of the glory of this king. And the Bible says in Revelation, in chapter 1, it says, And in the midst of the seven lampstand was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, and as white as the snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like fine brass. And he goes on and he describes this eternal king. Yes, this eternal king came, and he he came in a manger, but he's coming again as king of kings and lord of lords. Timothy, in spite of all of this, consider this king eternal. In spite of all that you're facing in this life, consider this king eternal who rules and reigns over all things. 
This morning, no matter what you're facing, consider this king. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, if you go to Hebrews 10 and verse 15, that this eternal God is involved in our present day life. This, this eternal God is not far off removed from us, but he cares for every aspect and every detail of our lives. Hebrews 10 says this in verse 15, 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Having boldness, we can come boldly because of this eternal King. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, verse 19, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Consider, Timothy, consider this eternal king. Consider this new and living way. Timothy, consider the, this king. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful this morning. He who has promised for your life is faithful. Consider this king this morning. Woo, and let us, whoa, consider this king, Timothy. <laughs> Woo. It's a lot harder than it looks to get through this sometimes. Whoa. Consider this king. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And when you get a glimpse of this king, it responds in worship. It responds in good works. It responds in blessing and ministering to those around you. There's an overflow when you consider this king. <laughs> Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as the day approaches. Andrew Murray said this about this scripture. I love this. It is a call to all lukewarm, half-hearted Christians, no longer to remain in the outer court of the tabernacle, content with the hope that their sins are pardoned, nor even to be satisfied with having entered the holy place and there doing the service of the tabernacle. Man, sometimes we can just get satisfied with coming in, doing the service, doing the good works, but, but there's, a, there's a call, there's a beckon from this eternal king to come a little bit closer, come a little bit closer today, while the veil still hinders the full fellowship with the living God and his love. It calls to enter through the rent veil into the place which the blood has been brought and where the high priest lives, there to live and to walk and to work always in the presence of the Father. It is a call to all doubting, thirsting believers who long for a better life than they have yet known, to cast aside their doubts and to believe that this is what Christ indeed done and brought within reach of each of us. He has opened up the way to the holiest. He has opened up the way to the holiest. This is the salvation. This is the salvation. This is the salvation which he has accomplished and which he lives to apply to each of us that we shall indeed dwell in the full light of God's countenance. Amen. Amen. Consider this king eternal. 
Timothy, consider this king eternal. He's immortal. This word immortal in the Greek means uncorrupted or imperishable or incorruptible. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, Peter says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. The Bible says in, in Genesis that God formed us out of the dust of the ground, the dirt of the ground. You can turn to your neighbor and say, you're full of dirt. Maybe not. Might not be wise, especially if it's your spouse. You may not want to say that. Peter makes a, dis- a distinction in this verse that there's two types of seed, that there's corruptible seed and there's incorruptible seed. When I start thinking about seed... My mind goes to Luke chapter 8 and the parable of the sower. And there's a couple, I won't take the time to read Luke 8 and you can read it on your own, but there's a couple of things that I think about in regards to the sower. And this, this is a couple of those things. Number one, that the sower picks the seed for the intended harvest. When you want an apple tree, you go and you get apple seeds. This isn't complex or rocket science. This is very easy. When you want an apple tree, you sow apple seeds. The other thing that I notice about the sower in Luke 8 is that the Bible says that some of the seed fell on the wayside in the rocky areas. And you know, to me, when you're sowing seed, you don't want to waste your seed. You don't want to scatter ski, seed in, in, in places that aren't going to produce fruit. You want to sow your seed in, in areas that are going to produce the harvest that you've intended. And so when I think about this and, and begin to ponder this, I, I feel like what God is saying here is that the sower of the seed, this shows the liberality and the generosity in which he sows the seed. That God, when he sows seed in our life, he realizes that, that some may fall on, on the wayside and some may fall in, in the rocky areas, but he's still sowing seed. He's liberally sowing seed in our lives that fruit may be produced. And then the other thing that I notice here is it's up to the sower to maintain the soil. What soil says, I need this ingredient or I need this ingredient and pours water on themselves or tills the ground and makes it ready for the seed? No, that's ridiculous. Of course, the sower not only has to sow the seed, but takes care of the ground that it can produce the right crop. In our lives, that when we get a glimpse of this incorruptible nature of God, that no matter what you and I may face in this life, He is sowing seed that's going to produce fruit. In the middle of that difficult situation, there's still seed being sown. In the middle of the hard times, there's seed still being sown, and it will produce character fruit. It will produce Holy Ghost spiritual fruit in your character. The nature of the seed is relentless. Everything that is needed to produce an apple tree is within that seed. Everything that, everything that the ground needs to produce an apple tree, the DNA of that apple tree is in that seed. And when God sows his word, when he sows his incorruptible nature into our lives, everything that's needed to produce a harvest in your life is in that seed. So when you're looking at your situation and you're looking at your circumstances and you begin to realize this incorruptible nature of God, realize that the thing that God has spoken over your life and the promise of God for your life will come to pass. He who has promised is faithful. When that seed goes out, when that word goes out, it is without void. It is without fail. The very word that God spoke at the beginning of time, let there be light, is still 
still producing light today. There's still light being produced. There's still life being produced because the word of God was spoken and it's still accomplishing what God has set it out to do. So, so don't regard your circumstance. Don't regard your situation. Take, take into consideration this morning the incorruptible nature of our God and the things that he has spoken, he's able to accomplish in your life. Amen. It may not happen in your time, and it may not happen in your season, but I promise it will happen in his season and his time. He will bring it to pass. Timothy, consider this king eternal. He's immortal. He's invisible. This invisible God, 1 Timothy 6.16 says, who alone has immortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen and amen. Paul knew what he was talking about when he wrote about the invisible light of, of God. Remember his, his trip on the road to Damascus. He came into contact with this invisible light, if you will. He, he came into contact with this light that overtook him and knocked him to the ground. We often, when, when we think about light, the last thing we think is invisible. Oh, but the light of God is invisible and it's shining in this place today. And only, it can only be seen with spiritual eyes. It can only be seen with eyes. Matter of fact, the, the light of God that struck Paul was so blinding, it, it blinded him. And he had to have the scales removed. He had to have healing for his natural eyes because it's a light that can only be seen with spiritual eyes. God, help us see this light that comes and searches every area of our life. Lord, help us to understand this light that is the life of men. The Bible says in John 1, 4, that his life, the life the light of God is the light, the life of God is the light of men. Help us to understand, Lord, that your life is an is a outshining light of the Father that illuminates our path. Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. That Jesus is this expressed word, this exp expressed image of the Father that illuminates our path. John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When's the last time that you've said, God, illuminate, give me wisdom, give, give, give me direction, illuminate my path in the middle of this. I want to know you and your direction in this, in this matter, in this situation, in my life, Lord. Come and illuminate. Let your, let your invisible light illuminate my path. Help me to see the, this, this invisible light on my journey. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of the glory and the express image, this light, this image of Christ, this image of God, the person of Christ. Lord, help us to, to realize this, this nature of God in the middle of, of life. Now to the King eternal, the King immortal, the King invisible, the only wise God. The only wise God. It means there's no one like Him. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, for I am holy. There's no one like him. This word holy in the, in the Greek is the word hagios. It means that they're different. It means to be different, set apart, set apart from the world. God's holiness is his infinite value and the absolutely unique, perfect, permanent person that he is. I'll say that again. God's holiness is His infinite value as the absolutely unique, perfect, permanent person that He is. That there is no one like God. 
when you're in the, in the middle of this circumstance of life, you can begin to gaze on this holiness, this uniqueness of God, the perfectness of God, the permanent nature of God. A lot of times we have this view that God sits in heaven with a big holy stick and he's ready to beat us up whenever we do something wrong. And at the same time, I don't believe that God's ready to beat you up with the holy stick. I also believe that he does not turn an eye towards sin. Oftentimes in church, we have two extremes of the reality of God that neither are really balanced or true. I don't believe in, in the message that you know we've heard frequently as of late, this greasy grace, if you will, is an old school term, or antinomianism, as Luther called it, or, or grace that says that you can live how you want and God will still uh, be pleased with you and allow you into heaven. But I also don't believe in legalism. And so when we begin to take a look at the nature of God, and we get a glimpse of who he is, that there is no one like him, that he is holy, and he calls us into holiness as he is holy. I think of this, that our, our sin and, and our attempts at pleasure, I said this yesterday in our, in our training uh, with Living Waters, that our, our attempts at sin to find pleasure are really limited forms of pleasure, that God has a much greater pleasure in him, that really we are limiting our pleasure seeking by finding fulfillment in sin. Because that's really what sin is all about. It's finding pleasure in things of this life and things of this world that dishonor God. And so when we begin to expand our pleasure seeking, if you will, and we find pleasure in God and we find our, find our enjoyment and our satisfaction in God, we find our joy in his holiness. It no longer becomes uh, intimidating when God says, be holy, for I am holy. We find enjoyment in that. We find enjoyment in saying, God, come save me from myself. Come change my character. Come change who I am. I love the quote that Heather read Wednesday night from Spurgeon, that even, even the robbers and, the, and, and those that have murdered, even they want to be saved from, from prison. Anybody wouldn't, you know, nobody wants to go to prison. Anybody wants to be saved from prison, who wouldn't want to go? To, who wouldn't want to be saved from prison? And likewise, who wouldn't want to be saved from hell? Who doesn't want to go? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to hell. But that's not the saving grace, the holiness of God at work in our life. The holiness of God in our life says, God, change who I am. Change my character. Let me be transformed to look like you. Let me take on the holiness of God. God's holiness and my joy are connected. In John 15, if you go there, in John 15 and verse 5, love John 15. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do, for without me, you can do nothing. Just making sure you all are still following. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 18, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. 
As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. A couple of things from this scripture. Our ability to be fruitful is dependent on abiding in Christ. If you want the fruit of God, we remember we talked about the incorruptible nature of God. When he sows that seed, his word into your life, the, the fruitfulness of that seed is dependent upon you staying connected to him. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, it is he that bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Secondly, God is glorified when I am absolutely satisfied in him. When you find your delight and your pleasure in God, he gets the glory. He said, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. When you find pleasure, remember we talked about pleasure. Oftentimes our pleasure is so limited by chasing after the things of this life. When you, when you find pleasure in the nature of God and who God is, it produces fruit in your life and you find enjoyment in God. That's how your joy and God being glorified is connected. That's how his holiness is connected to your joy. The question for you that you have to answer today, is Christ enough for you? Are you satisfied in God? Or are you still looking for pleasure in the things of this life? You know, it, can't even, it may not even necessarily be bad things. Oftentimes we find our pleasure in doing the works of God. I've got to... I've got to read my Bible so many times a day. I've got to be the, the perfect small group leader. I have to be the perfect Christian. And you find pleasure in what you do and, and miss the pleasure that's found in Christ. My passion for God's glory and my joy in that glory are one passion. These things that I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and it may be to the full. When you have a passion for God's holiness and you have a passion for God's joy, your passion, your passion for your joy found in God, is the, it's all the same passion. When you find delight in Him and you enjoy Him and you're, you find delight in His holiness, God is glorified and you are satisfied. Jonathan Edwards said this, I love this quote, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of Him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of all, or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Well, is it wrong to enjoy family? Is it wrong to find enjoyment in a calling of God? Is it wrong to find it? No, it's not. Those, none of those things are wrong. But when you have Christ and you have the enjoyment of God as your center, as Heather was saying, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. All of the pleasures, all of those joys are just taken to the next level. You find God in the middle of all of those circumstances, in the middle of all of those enjoyments. God is supreme and, and, and your enjoyment of all those other things becomes paramount. Amen. I think about if you go with me to John chapter 8, 
in regards to the joy of the Lord in our life and regarding in regards to his holiness. We find the story in John 8 of, of a woman who, shall we say, was far from holy. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you find yourself far from holiness this morning. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what, how could God ever find, find enjoyment in me? How could God ever be glorified in my life? How could I ever be holy as God is holy? You might find yourself with the company of this woman in John chapter 8. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people in verse 2 came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something to which to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And though he did not hear, as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote it in the ground. And then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up, saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those who accuse you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, this word, there's a word that's used here in the Greek. It's anakupto. In verse 10, we see it in verse 10. We see it in verse 7. It says, and Jesus raised himself up. That word in the Greek is a very, uh, very much a picture word. It means to be raised up with joy and exultation as the waves of the sea. When you're in the middle of the situation of life and, and, and you find yourself just like this woman with accusers coming after her, she's caught in the middle of the act of sin. Jesus gets down and he starts writing in the sand of her life. You know, there are times when, when you and I find ourselves in circumstance where we're like, God, what are you doing? Why are you making a sandcastle? Get up out of the sand and deal with the issue of my life. I'm tired of you playing in the dirt. Can you just solve this problem? See all these people who are accusing me? Can't you just speak one word and knock them all down? And instead, Jesus gets down and he starts playing in the dirt. Why? Because he knows who he is. Why does he do that? He knows who he is. He's confident in his nature. He's confident in his nature that there is no one like him. And that when he steps into the scene of our lives, there is no one like him. And he can say to those who accuse, you have sin? You who have no sin, you cast the first stone. You see, when Jesus said that, this is very interesting, the law says that if, if you are going to stone someone, you can't have the same sin in your own life. So all of these men who are standing there ready to throw stones are recognizing in that moment, I'm about ready to bring condemnation on myself because it's okay if I have an affair. It's okay if I do wrong. 
And so they dropped their stones. And this word, anacupto, Jesus raised himself up with joy. He raised himself up with joy. Why, Why, Jesus, in the middle of this horrible situation, you would raise yourself up with joy and exaltation? Because he sees something that that woman didn't see. There are things that you will get in the circumstances of life that only come when Jesus plays in the dirt. There, there, are, there are things that you will hear from God and experience in His presence that only happen when He comes in the middle of those difficult seasons. There are things that God will do in your character. There will, there will be things that He will do in your life that will only sustain you for the days ahead that if Jesus, he just gotta, He's just got to get in the dirt. I don't know what happened to this woman after the fact, but I would imagine that she left with some joy. She was getting ready to die, and Jesus saved her from that death. I, you know, I don't know what you're here with this morning, what baggage you might be carrying in, and, and, and what issues you may be facing. But I would say to you, like Timothy heard from Paul, now to the King Eternal, to the King Immortal, the King who's invisible, this only wise God, this only wise God, that in the middle of your life, there's no one like Him. There's no one like him in the middle of that circumstance, in the middle of that situation. There's no one like him. Find your joy. Find your fulfillment. Find your satisfaction in the nature of God. Don't look to circumstance. Look to Christ this morning. So jumping back to Timothy. Timothy, what is your response? What is your response today? Considering all this, people have shipwrecked their faith. They've abandoned their faith. They're turning their back on God. All of these things are going on. Timothy, what is your response? Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What is our response? When you behold the character of God, when you get a glimpse of His nature for yourself, when this woman saw Jesus playing in the dirt of her life, there is only one response that can be had. Be blessing and honor forever and ever. Amen. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. When you get a glimpse of the nature of God, our only response can be that of worship. Our only response is, God, be blessing, honor, glory, power, forever and ever. Just like Paul and Silas finding themselves in the prison, being beat to death. We can focus on the circumstance. Silas, I told you to shut your mouth. If you would have just been quiet, None of this would have ever happened. Why did, Paul, why do we have to go and preach? I cannot believe that you said we needed to keep preaching. They already warned us if we kept preaching. Paul, I can't believe it. Here we are, chained up again, in prison again, going through, man, I just wish this would be over with. No, 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 that wasn't their response. They fixed their eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. They fixed their eyes, casting aside all of the weights, all of the cares. They fixed their eyes on Jesus and got a hold of this nature, got a hold of this glory, and began to sing out praise at the midnight hour. 
And when they began to sing out praise, there was a shaking going on. And those prison doors came open and their shackles came open. And it didn't only affect their life. You see, this is, this is what happens when you, get a na- when, a, when you get a glimpse of the nature of God and you respond in worship. The only response that really can be had. There are those around you who are going to be affected by that worship. There are, there are chains and, and shackled people all around you. Chained up, shackled people at, at your job. There's chained up, shackled people at the grocery store. There's chained up, shackled people everywhere you and I go. And we live a life of worship in response to this excellent nature of God. And wherever you and I go, there's a shaking going on. Wherever you and I go, there's, there's a shaking happening. When's the last time that your praise began to shape your trial? When's the last time that your worship began to, to, to take on a form, to take on a substance and began to shape the situation around you so much so that the, that the glory of God began to break open those shackles that you faced? There is only one response. Be blessing and honor forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information.